I think a lot of people should be themselves, uh, create their own path, bet on themselves and, and don't try to worry about what other people think and uh, be an anomaly and be, be someone that's unique. Because I think when you look at the people that you admire, they're anomalies. Over the course of my life and career, I've discovered the power of consciously investing in mindset and personal development. It has been a true game changer for me in my personal and professional life. And I'm extremely excited that you decided to join us today to take one step forward in your own life. Most of my breakthroughs have come from one-on-one -on -one conversations. We created this show to bring you those unfiltered conversations each and every week. Hello, hello, and welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Greg Tomchik, and we're going to connect to some pretty incredible mindsets here with Mr. Zach Miller. Um, but before we do, Today's episode is presented by Blokes. Blokes is a company that I came across recently. As a former athlete, I was always fascinated by my hormones and the ups and downs of what drove the way I was thinking continuously and how my body felt. I've, I recently found Blokes, did their diagnostic test and realized that my testosterone and some other hormones were way down. Um, and it was basically because of some of the things that I was taking from a vitamin standpoint. So I would recommend you go check out Blokes. It's blokes.co slash connected. That's blokes.co slash connected. Without further ado, Mr. Zach Miller, thanks so much for joining us and uh, looking forward to the episode. That introduction got me going. You know, I'm, I feel like the I'm ready. I'm ready to go. You know, I've watched that before, but um, never with my earphones on my headphones on and i was just like okay top of the morning let's yeah. let's get this going I love, <laughs> I love it looking forward to diving in mr zach miller for those that do not know you many in the community do here in hampton roads we have people joining us from other states that are going to benefit from this discussion tell the audience a little bit about what mission you're on and what you're hoping that each person listening in today walks away with yeah i think as a kid we're kind of taught to be similar to each other. You know, there's this, there's this specific path that we're supposed to go on. For me growing up, it was, uh, I was told, you know, do well in, in middle school, high school, that takes you to college. Then you go and you work, work for the man. And then at some point, all this other stuff happens and you live this magical life. But once you get into that, you realize, well, you know, mm, a lot of this, a lot of this, a lot of roller coaster and uh, through there. And, it's just not that. And so, you know, I, I think a lot of people should be themselves, uh, create their own path, bet on themselves and, and don't try to worry about what other people think and uh, be an anomaly and be, be someone that's unique. Because I think when you look at the people that you admire, they're anomalies. They're not those that, that stand or they're, they're not those that are uh, camouflaged in with other people. It's the, it's the ones that, um, that look different, that have have bet on themselves, and uh, I think at the end of the day, the the goal for everyone should be, you know, be yourself, 
be a little different and let the let that roller coaster just go up a lot more than than down. Yeah. We definitely need more than that. One of the things we talk a lot about is labels. We like to label ourselves certain things. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what it goes back to is we see someone successful and we try to chase that label that they're labeling themselves. Um, I've definitely read your book. You talk a lot about, you know, standing out from the crowd. You know, when you say crowd, does you know, when you talk about either life or business, you know, what does that crowd mean? Is that the people you want to be? Is it the people you're currently in? Is it the people that, you know, are in just surrounding you at that point in time? What do you see as a crowd and how can you kind of start to stand out? Yeah, I, I think all of those things can can be pieces of it. It's, you know, there are times where you, you don't want to be seen and I think that's fine, right? But there are many a times where if you're running a business or you're, you're in that business and you're, you're trying to get your hopeful customer to, to see you, if, if you do what your, you know, quote unquote competitor does, it's going to be very difficult for you to, to not only be recognized by that person, but for them to buy from you. I remember when I was, when I was writing Anomaly, I was looking for stats on like how many advertisements we see and consume a day. And I'd ask people like, what do you think that number is? Now, I know you've read the books, so you probably know the number, but you probably forgot what the number is. But how many, how many advertisements a day, Greg, do you think that we see a day? Thousands. Yeah, it's insane. So the last time I've been able to actually find this number, and I search probably every quarter at this point, because, you know, when you're searching it every day, it becomes a little obnoxious, but it was in 2013. So think about 2013. This bad boy really wasn't that big of a deal then. Right. It's still it, mobile wasn't as it is now. That was a decade ago. It was we are consuming and seeing 5000 different ads a day. That's the black T-shirt that I'm wearing. That's the connected mindset thing that you're wearing. That's the rock poster behind me. That's the bumper sticker on the car. That's the the digital advertisements that you see that that that's the Netflix icons. That's 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 everything. Right. It's not just commercials. That's 5000 ads a day. That means as a person who wants to be seen. I'm not competing against just one person. I'm not just competing about uh, against the Mac Shack or the BK Lounge to, to to get my food. You know, I'm competing against four thousand nine hundred ninety nine other brands, other things, other businesses to be seen. And I say these numbers because oftentimes I think people are just like, yeah, all I have to do is this little thing, you know. And I'll be seen. It's like you, that's thousands of people that you have to figure out how to get around. And by the way, just because they see you that that one time, just because that billboard just finally pops up on the screen, it takes them typically it takes a person typically seven times to actually see that to even recognize what it is over the period of however many times it's taken you to do that. So let's say that that thing pops up once every seven days. That's you know, five to seven days, five to seven weeks of you doing something for that person to see, you can't just do it once. And then what I found in business and in life is that most people will try something once. They're like, well, it didn't work. And it's like, yeah, look at the stats. The stats say it didn't work because you didn't run the, the entire duration of what it needs. And when you put those numbers in perspective, you're like, oh, so I do have to be obnoxious about getting this thing out there a lot more because the data tells me that I do. And so I, I think a lot of people just try something once, maybe twice and like, yeah, this thing isn't working. I'm like, well, let, do you really know that? And 
yeah, it's just just getting that out there. I think that's tough for a lot of small and medium companies because a lot of the times we start in our first order network and we want to advertise to get to our second order, you know, third order network. Mm -hmm. What is that line that you see where you know you should start changing? your approach, you know, you put something out there, you spend a bunch of money on ads, you know, you put it, you know, you're not getting that traction you're hoping from that messaging. What do you think that point is that you need to say, all right, we need to change it? You know, as opposed to the yeah, I, I remember I was talking to a colleague, a friend decade, 15 years ago, and he said when he started his business, he didn't spend more than $100 on anything. And that was it. That was the number. He was like, I'm going to put $100 into this thing, whatever that is, you know, whether that's, you know, $100 worth of popsicles to hand out to people to hopefully get them to see my business, $100 worth of legal fees, $100 worth of whatever. That was, that was the number, right? And so I don't think you have to spend a lot of money to start. I think you have to look at it and say, you have to find your champions first. You have to find those people that'll go to bat for you. And if you can't find those champions or where they are, then it's not time to go to that next step. Think of a bell curve, right? A bell curve. There's four quadrants, I think, right? Quadrant one would be your champions, right? Those are the people that will that will promote you, that will talk about you online, that will um, tell their friends if there's if someone's saying something negative, they're gonna combat that and say, "No, you're a donkey." They, these people are great, right? Then there's quadrant four. That's where I think most people are actually trying to spend all their marketing on is to convince these people on quadrant four of a bell curve that are never going to be clients that are never going to be customers. Don't waste your time there. Focus on getting those champions, you know, 10, a hundred, you know, it depends. You can't just say a blatant number because it depends on how big the size of that market is. Right. But find your champions who are people that will go to bat for you and do everything that you, when you say, Hey, will you do this thing? They're like, absolutely. They pick up the phone and they do it. Hey, will you tweet this thing? We X this thing, whatever it is, you know, I love it. X. Yeah. They're going to do that thing for you. Find your champions when starting a business or any new marketing campaign, right? That's the type of thing that, that you're looking for. And I think most people are focused on the wrong side of the quadrant way too early. And as you think about it, you know, a bell curve champions, never going to become customers. And the next thing is people that eh, need a little bit of persuasion you know, a little bit of convincing to get there. And then some people on quadrant three might swing both ways, right? Focus on Q1. Then get enough people in there where you feel comfortable and you see that these things are happening, right? So like, I'm a wrestling fan. Obviously, you can see The Rock behind me, right? Look at what wrestling does when they are uh, coming to a town, when they're doing uh, a pay-per-view, when they're doing WrestleMania, they do pre-sales, Right? How much money can they make in those pre-sales? Those are your champions, right? If they can sell 50% of, of an arena on day one, maybe more, that's what you're trying to do because they're spending the least amount of money on that thing. It probably costs them way more money to get these other, to, to fill in the last bit of seats just to, so that it's at capacity than it would be to get those people in Q1. So think about, about that aspect. Yeah, I like the quadrant idea. I think that's uh, something that people can picture and and kind of go after. I think when we're early on in business, whether we've started companies or not, we we try to go after like market sizes. We try to go after like, oh, well, 
you know, my service is best for, you know, older people 60 and up. And it's like, there's mm -hmm. millions of people that are 60 and up. I think we're not getting specific enough with who we're targeting as, as smaller companies, which creates burnout. Often and oftentimes to, to piggyback off that, you might get one person who seems great. I'll call that my mom, you know, the mom effect. Who's like, Oh, this is the greatest thing ever. When it's like, can you actually pair that with someone else that's like that, mm -hmm. right? My mom in seventh grade said I was an amazing singer. So I go to middle school choir tryouts. I, you know, I get in front of Simon Cowell and I, and I get up there and I sing and the teacher's like, stop, you're, you're the worst singer I've ever seen. You know, this is, this is terrible, right? I go home. I tell that to my mom. I said, I didn't make it. She's like, but you're, you're amazing. You know, still to this day, you know, literally to this day, I'm 39 years old now. She still thinks I'm an amazing singer. Ain't no one in the world want to hear me sing, right? Simon Cowell, that teacher was absolutely correct. So be careful also on some of your Q1 aspects of that to not have family, immediate friends. You want those people to push them, but don't make, don't make decisions off of those things, off of, off of those people who are not the right thing. You're really trying to find your champions who have no real relation to you. That is, you can get it a lot of bad data points from people who just want to support you. You want those people to support you. I'm not saying you don't want that. Just don't make decisions off of what your mom thinks. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good point because we, a lot of us start companies in, in relatively comfortable environments. We run to the people that have either supported us in the past or are there to support local companies do you think that puts us behind the curve as opposed to starting in an extremely uncomfortable situation like going in front of toastmasters and saying here's my business idea and and here's me speaking about it and people picking it apart from the beginning i think we go towards comfort of like i'm going to go out and change the world and it's it's like all feel good and then you hit that wall of it's just like somebody says it sucks and yeah. Let's yeah. put this in sports terms, right? So like baseball, right? I don't know the exact, you know, standards of this. You know, you're a, a former professional baseball athlete, right? You probably played Little League in a in some sort of non like just just like the local Little League type of thing, right? And so you might have been the best player in there, right? And so that could be misleading data when you actually play against better players, right? So like I was really good at soccer growing up but I wasn't on travel soccer. So I might've been the best player on the crappiest division. But then when I actually was playing with people who are taking this a little bit more serious, if you will, I was still probably the best because you know I'm, I'm, I'm competitive, but you might not be. So ma make sure the playing field is the, is the right thing. Um, do uncomfortable things, you know, like I, I think a lot of people just, have glorified thinking, you know, oh, I'm gonna start a business. It's gonna be great. And it's like, all right, well, like, you know, call some people, see how you feel about it. You sure you want to do that? Because if you're not willing to be your own salesperson, which everyone is a salesperson, it doesn't matter if you're owning a business, you're an employee at a business, you're something, you're always trying to sell something. You're the person that at McDonald's trying to sell up, upsell you um, an extra value meal. Everyone is trying to sell. We are all salespeople. And if you're not willing to to really grasp that concept, maybe starting a business isn't isn't the thing for you. And that's okay. 
But I think you, if you look the last 15 years or so, we've made it where it's like, oh, start your own job. You know, it'll be great. Okay, sure. Let's do it. I, I've, you know, I've, I've been on that bandwagon, still am on that bandwagon, but it's like also realize what you're getting into and make sure you really want to do it. I interviewed Damon John, I don't know, seven years ago. I asked him um, something about, you know, if when you're starting a business, what, sh what should you do? And I'd already believed in this mindset, but he's like, just put a foot in, put a foot in the pool, see how you feel about it. Don't go all in. Don't quit. Don't do all those things yet. Let's, you know, let's tease it a little. Let's just put the tip in, you know, the tip of your foot in, see how you like it. Because you go all in, you quit all that stuff, you might burn a bridge, might make people look at you like you're a donkey. So be careful. Doesn't mean you don't have a great thing. It just means that Hey, from an entrepreneurial perspective, from a business owner perspective, there's a lot, there's a lot that can, that can go on there. So make sure before you make a irrational decision, that it's one that makes sense for you. What does putting a foot in, you know, what do you think it means to somebody like Damon? And then what does it mean to, you know, somebody like you? Um, because I think a lot of people put feet in. And they're like, I'm going to develop a business plan. I'm going to get a website. I'm going to start sending SMS messages. So Damon, out. Damon was. So I'll give you, I'll give you mine, his, and other people's. Right. So Damon's was his mom taught him to sew. He taught. Um, he he sewed some beanies. Went on the streets of Queens and sold them for twenty bucks a piece. You didn't have a business, but he sold it out of those day one or that weekend, something like that. Made eight hundred bucks. Okay. Well, people were buying them. Right. For me, it was. Um, so like recently I was like, oh, okay, I have this business idea. I, I think, I think there's legs to it. People have told me there's legs to it, right? I'm hearing that people are like, oh, I like, I like this thing. Can you do this thing for me? So then I go, I don't start a business. I just come up with, I talk to those people that are saying those things and say, okay, well, what if I do that for you? This will, it'll cost this. Can you pay me right now? Can you pay me right now? Can you pay me right now? Not in the future. Can you pay me right now? And if they're willing to do it, then that's, that's one little piece of the pie that's saying, okay. I will start doing that thing. You cannot say, will you pay me when I develop this thing? Because what you will find is that people will say, yes, then you develop that thing. And then it comes around, you go, hey, it's here. I'm ready. And they're like, well, I know I told you yes. But what I really meant was no. But I was trying to be nice to you because I like you but I just don't think this is ever going to become something that I really want. And so that's why I said, give me money now. That, that's the ultimate indicator that it's going to work or not. It, it's, it's that simple. And guess what? Take the money, never develop the thing, send it back to them. If you don't do it right, put it, put it in, you know, a fake escrow account, you know, a savings account of yours, just don't touch it, you know, but you know that the, uh, if you haven't developed it yet type of thing, right. You, we prepay for a ton of things, hotel rooms, uh, uh, tickets to concerts, air, air, airfare, lots of other things as well, right? So it's not like prepaying for things is, is this nuance, this thing that we do it all the time, you know? So if you can't get the money from someone, that's an indicator. That's a red flag that, hey, this idea may still be great. However, the person I'm talking to could be the wrong target. It could be my language. It could be the price. It could be several different things. But you just have to analyze what they're saying in that moment. 
where you're trying to justify, hey, is this thing really something that they will purchase? So a decade ago, I was like, I'm going to write a book on um, if something like um, things that I've done for $5 or less from a marketing perspective, something like that. I went to Fiverr, I spent five bucks on a, on a book cover. I posted it online. At that point, I was posting a lot of uh, things online. And I was like, hey, I'm writing this book. I found a way to uh, get people to prepay for this book for five bucks. And I said, if I get to a certain amount of, of buys, I'll write it. I think I sold like seven. That did not hit the threshold. So guess what? People got their five bucks back. Zach didn't waste his, his time building this thing. And I, I just moved on. Now, ultimately, you could say that I ended up writing that book a little bit later called Anomaly. But I also built up my network during that time over the next three to five years that made me realize that that next thing was something that I could that I could write and be successful with. It's a litmus test. I think a lot of us don't even consider. And, you know, when I think we're embarrassed, we are embarrassed. The thing doesn't work. Maybe. Yeah. I just don't care yeah. about that. Yeah. I just don't want to waste time. That's how I'm like, I'm, I would, I would rather do absolutely nothing than work on something that ultimately doesn't come to fruition. And I've messed up on those things too. I've, I've, I've made, I've made business decisions that where I'm like, okay, this seems like the right thing. Let's develop this thing. And then lost thousands of dollars off of it. Right. So like we built this thing. I think you knew about this way back when this thing called 1004 it was working mm -hmm. pretty decently well for, for actual businesses. And it was like, oh, well, what if we sold this to cities to then distribute to their businesses? We'll charge them a flat fee of, of whatever thousands of dollars. And I was able to convince a couple of cities to do this. So that gave me the, the, the concept, okay, this is going to work. So then I developed the infrastructure which cost thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars to, to basically make the payments easy for them to do when I didn't really need to do that yet. When I still could have manually done that process and not done that. Ultimately I never figured out how to get cities to buy that thing, but I lost money because I made a bad calculated decision off of one or two things like my mom, right? Those ones that came in, I would have said were my mom effect of that, you know, people that I had really close ties to that were giving me, that were giving me thoughts that this thing was, had more legs than it really did from that type of customer. And I, I just jumped too fast on that and wasted too much money on something that I hadn't, I hadn't proven basically. Yeah, that's extreme. That's extremely interesting. Do you, and we talk about this a lot on the show. Do you think we have to learn from pain or do you think we can also what learn was painful, from, but what's yeah. so yeah, I lost the money. I guess that's a pain, Yeah, but or like, mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like, yeah. I think the word failure is the most overused word in business. I don't think yeah. most of these things are failure to me. Failure is the absolute worst thing that could happen. Mm -hmm. I would maybe look at some of these things as this is the absolute best thing that could happen. Like me finding out like, Oh, this isn't going to work. Guess what? I don't have to waste a lot of time on it. That's a good thing. Not a bad thing. We look at that as failure. Oh, it didn't work. We need to pivot. Blah, 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 blah. It's like, stop jargoning me. Like, right. just stop giving me all this crap. It's like, it didn't work. My idea, for whatever reason, didn't work at this point. Doesn't mean it can't in the future. One of the most popular TED Talks is saying that timing is the most important thing. 
You know, my book didn't work at that time, you know, 10 years ago, five years after that. And it seemed to work. It was basically the same concept, you know? So you learn from those things, you know, keep them back in, in, in the back of your mind, in, in, in your ice box, you know, in your backpack and then pull it out when you need it. I don't, I don't know that pain has to be there. Maybe an understanding that, hey, not everything's going to go great, but what's the greatest baseball batting average of all time? 400 something, maybe? 300 and just over 300. So you fail seven out of 10 times and you're a Hall of Famer. Like, and a 200 batting average is still a pretty good, you know, a 250 batting average is still pretty good too. You know, Michael Jordan, not a 50%. Um, whatever basketball, <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of uh, the greatest quarterbacks of all time, 70% throwing. So they're, they're, you know, 60, 70%. Like, I don't know. I, I think mm-hmm. we, I think we look at it. We look at it the wrong way. A lot of times the advice we're getting is from people who have never done it too. I can't stand that. I appreciate mm-hmm. that they're, you know, supporting, but it's like, do you, do you really even understand what you're saying? Like when you're telling this person, oh, you know, just just get your minimum viable product, you know, your product market fit. I'm like, you're selling something that you actually have never done yourself and you don't get. So let's actually articulate this in a way that gets people that really grasp what you're saying to 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 make it work for them. And again, like nothing against any of these programs out there in, in the world, but it's just like a lot of them are led by people who are just like wanting to to be associated with these groups, with these entrepreneurs, because it makes them feel good, but they really have no understanding or recollection. What the heck's going on? Yeah. Yeah. How do what what questions would you ask somebody, you know, if you were looking for the right advice, whether it was business or life, you know, is is there one or two or are there one or two questions that you would say, you know, have you done this before? What does that look like? And then you say, can you help me with my business? Yeah, I would try to find someone who's done it pretty recent. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, that would be the most important thing to me. I don't know about exactly what question I would ask them from that perspective, but I would want to make sure that there's someone like, I'm not going to go asking uh, an accounting question when I'm at the dentist office, you know, but I would, I would, I think you could probably even do this without even asking them these questions, but you, maybe you could search like their LinkedIn bio to see like, okay, it looks like, it looks like they're just, you know, a, a forever employee somewhere. Um, you know, maybe you're going through something traumatic in your life and you need someone to help, you know, yeah, maybe you talk to a therapist, but maybe you also find a friend that, you know, has gone through that thing at the same time. Right. Um, and I would get multiple perspectives, right? Like, how did you get through this, uh, this, this horrible time? Uh, like how, how do you, I, I always thought this was funny when people are like, Oh, you know, just fire someone, but I've, but I've never fired someone. Right. It's mm-hmm. like, well, you got to, you know, there's this checklist, the checklist of, you know, how to grow and grow a business. You know, sometimes you gotta get, get rid of the, the, the crap in your business. So just fire those people. Well, that's an emotional thing. I don't know that you Greg have ever fired anyone, but I remember the first person I ever did. I cried. I was like, this is, this is a very emotional thing. It was, it was, it was like very like hitting me emotionally in myself. So who do you talk to in those situations? Someone who's done it. How do you get through it? Right. What did you do to do that? What I've found is that oftentimes the people who are holding 
from um, what I've learned from from myself firing people and others as well as we hold on to these people longer and it makes it harder and we think that like these people are going to care a lot more and then we do it and they're like okay thanks yeah and I'm like wow why did I waste some tears on that <laughs> so yeah. find find people that are more in that more recently I think is important and maybe get both sides of the equation people who have done it well people who have have maybe seen the other side of that and, and, and figure out that, um, figure out a happy medium, medium on maybe how to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's think, almost, yeah. It's almost like a breakup. It's like, yeah, I, I think, sh I think shows like shark tank are great from an awareness perspective, but I think people will listen to what, you know, Mark Cuban says on stage and he's like, Oh, I'm going to say that now to someone, you know, I'll go to 1 million cups. Uh, and, and pitch my business. And then someone's like, oh, well, I heard Mark Cuban say that. So I'm going to ask him that question too. Mm -hmm. When it's like, you don't understand why he asked that question. You're just sitting there as some someone trying to get business from this person, trying to look smart when actually you have no idea why Mark Cuban or any of the sharks asked that question. And so I think you have to filter through people that are also giving you advice to figure out like, oh, they've been there they know that you know don't ask someone um how to start a specific type of business if the business they started was 50 years ago completely different landscapes mm -hmm. yeah i think there there are some consistencies but i think especially in the high tech world you know things are moving so rapidly and there's so much noise out there like you're saying where people are just repeating what they're hearing on tv that it makes it hard to prioritize what we do in our businesses. So if you, you know, if you're looking at a small business owner, medium business owner, that's, you know, a part of these communities or these circles that are not serving them in the way that it, they should, you know, what do you think you prioritize in today's world with all that noise and people just, you know, saying things that they may not know the deep meaning or how it's resonating with you as a person? worry about the people who are actually engaging don't worry about the crap yeah. so a lot of people like let's say you have an email list there's 100 people on the email list you get 30 percent open rate a lot of people worry about the 70 percent. oh i gotta figure out how to get those 70 people to open why why don't you worry about the 30 percent that are yeah mm -hmm. I, there's you know i'm at i'm at i'm at a wrestling event there's 10,000 people at the event why, why am I going to worry about anyone else other than who's in that stadium right now? That's who I should focus on. Not people outside, not people that didn't come, not people that are, that, that aren't watching worry about the people that are in the ballpark. Cause those are the people, those are your champions that got the eyes on you. Give them the greatest show ever. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about where you're not. Give them the best damn show ever. And then they will tell their friends and that 10,000 person stadium, that 100 person email list will become a 200 person email list, a 15,000 person email list. Jay Billis, uh, a Duke center, I believe way back when, maybe the, the face of college basketball at this point, he either said this in his book or just somewhere. I might even ask him this question when I, I met him at, a, at an event, but it was something like he was doing like a division three game and he was calling it. He was coming up from 
he he wasn't you know the the face at that point he was still just you know a, a lower level commentator and he he was just just so spot on and and giving his all on this game and actually i didn't ask him this question now that i'm thinking about it i heard him say this somewhere but he's like you know someone was like why are you so invested in this game he goes because people are watching and i want to give them the greatest broadcast that i can i don't care if i'm on espn3 espn plus that i'm in you know the this this small little podunk town i want to give those people that are there those four people those 40 people those four thousand people whatever it is the greatest damn broadcast that i can because what ends up happening is people see that and they're like damn i want more of that and then it continues to rise and rise and rise and again focus on the people that are in the arena not the people that aren't that's yeah. that's that's that bell curve again focus on the champions focus on the people that are in quadrant two those are the people that are, that are in the arena that's who you should focus on not everyone else that's never going to get to the stadium that's a, yeah that's a huge breakthrough because everybody is trying to chase that next customer or that next opportunity or the next product you're going to develop and oftentimes they forget about you know those current folks who are supporting them or the current folks who are customers and they're they're looking for that next thing and i think that steers people way wrong and i think you hit the nail on the head it's cheaper to retain a customer than to obtain a new customer mm -hmm. by a lot so do whatever you can to retain those customers yeah. what is in a, in a high-tech world you know when most companies are supporting other businesses with technology what does it look like in your opinion to be an anomaly when they're already a customer Uh, continuing to, well, I mean, have great customer service, right? There can be repeat people, right? Like I like to use examples that people understand because I think a lot of people don't, don't always, they're like, oh, well, this one company, this thing, great. What does Amazon do? Great. They're pretty darn good at not just delivery, but customer service, right? So if something goes wrong, they're like, cool, send it back. We'll give you your refund or we'll give you the thing back. Right. That's a pretty damn like 10 years ago that was like the most ridiculous thing think about how hard it was if you didn't like something 10 years ago how that transaction would go i'm going to sears i buy this thing i'm physically going to sears i buy this thing it sucks i have to then go back to sears take this thing give them this receipt stand in line and hopefully convince them that they can take it now amazon just goes okay thanks here's your money back uh put it in a box and ups will come pick it up that's customer service 101 they've made it super simple from that thing right so a customer's already there make sure your customer service is spot on right why do people enjoy going to chick-fil-a and they hate going to mcdonald's they roughly are the same food now i'm going to get a lot of flack for that that's fine but they're roughly the same food right McDonald's customer service. Well, Chick-fil-A's customer service. Ooh, my pleasure. I like that. Mm -hmm. People suck at customer service, right? 
I'm I'm amazed at just simple little things that like look at Panera. I think Panera from like a fast casual has figured as seamless and as easy as possible for all of their types of customers. Right. If you want to go to the to the counter and order, go to the counter. You want to walk in, touch the dirty kiosk, do that. Right. You want to order in your app and and have them take it to your car, do that. You want to come in and have them take it to um you know, pull pull the bag out, you want it delivered, whatever it is. There's many options. That's customer service, right? Make it seamless, make it easy, give them options, right? I remember one time I was I was working with a client. And uh, I was like, this is how much it costs to work with me. And it was an annual fee. And this was a pretty large uh, business. And I knew how much money they made a year. And so I told them my fee. And they were like, can you break that up into payments? And I was shocked to think that. And I was like, wow, like, I know how much you make a year. You've told me how much you make a year. Why do you, why are you doing this instead of just paying me one fee? It was convenient for me to get that one fee but it was convenient for them to break it up. And so I had to think in that moment, okay, let's do that. And actually that happened a couple more times where I was like, oh, okay, like people like these things broken up, make it easy for them to say yes. And I, and I think that's, that's something that people put these like stupid boundaries around their business for no reason. It's like, it's the same amount of money. And in some cases, some people can just tack on a percentage on top of that and actually maybe make more money. But it's just like, don't make it hard on yourself. Don't make it hard on your your customers. Do whatever you can to to make them love, love you as, as a business. What do you think about the question of how much would you pay for this as opposed to stating <clears throat> stating a price and then them coming back with yes or no. I think it depends on where you are in the business. And 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 that's that's really just it. Like if you're trying to get that person so in like the champion stage of that, like if you're like, "Hey, like I'm I'm going to do this new service. This is what it costs. Will you pay me?" See what see what their reaction is. Maybe they're like, "I'm in." Maybe you set your bar too low. Right? So, so, so pick a number, maybe it's a thousand bucks a month, whatever this thing is, right? It's a thousand bucks a month. I'm in, right, here's a check right now. Here's I'm, I'll end money. I'll, I'll cash up you. I'll, I'll send me the invoice, whatever it is. Maybe you price it too low, right? Figure out what your minimum is that you need to make, right? The number that you want to make on that thing and tell them that number and their reaction very quickly will teach you a lot of things. One, is it too low? Because they said, yes. Maybe, or maybe that's the sweet spot for everyone. And they're like, boom. So then try that again, someone else. Oh, no, that's too much. Why? Just like, I think one of the, the most great things about me is I'm very inquisitive. So like, I'm always just a why, 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 why? Tell me more, why, why? Like, don't just figure if, figure out why they said yes. Figure out why they said no. Figure out why they said, well, maybe a little later. Figure out why, like just... It, you can't make assumptions even when someone says yes, that that thing is what you want. And I think a lot of people only ask why at a certain time. And it's like, go as deep as you can as early and often, because you have got to be understanding why these things are happening.
Have you ever thought about the difference between why and what made you do this? And the reason I ask is because I have little kids and a lot of older parents recommend saying what would make you do this as opposed to, you know, why did you throw that piece of food at your sister? Or why did you do this? What made you do this? Or what would make you act on doing business with us? You know, just kind of the difference between those two questions and if you see any any significant difference in in business when it comes to those two? Sure. Language is an interesting thing. Communication is an interesting thing. I might say why. You might say why. Why did? Uh, what made you do this? I think those are all also things that you have to use in your communication to figure out how to get certain answers. So that's why you can't just ask one or two people. You know, you have to ask a plethora of people, and you might have to interchange words and phrases in there to figure out what that is. I look at those things as the same thing, but I also look at those things as maybe situations where I have to use different words to figure out why a situation went the way that it did. Mm -hmm. It yeah. just depends on the person. Some people are going to be more blunt like me and will just tell me some people are going to need more, more strategic persuasive language to get them to get something out of them. Right. Like when I'm interviewing someone, I've interviewed hundreds, maybe thousands of people at this point. Like I'm trying to make them feel very comfortable so that when I ask them real, like stuff that might be a little a little gnarly, I, I've made them feel comfortable that they'll give me that information out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's that's important to, to get that out of those people. And so making people feel comfortable in a situation so that when you do ask them questions that maybe they feel uncomfortable with. They won't. They won't cherry pick it and be like, well, yeah, because most people don't. It's really easy for someone to get an ad in the mailbox and throw it in the trash can, right? If that person actually knocks on the door and you answer it, it's really difficult for you to to say no at that situation because you f you feel bad for the person. You make an emotional decision instead of instead of a business decision. Yeah, and in life, I think even if you don't own a business, you need to make business decisions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people come into the situation emotional and then they switch to logic. And that's that's one of the things I love how you just frame that concept and how you put out there, you know, what are you watching on Netflix? Because that gets people right from holy cow, I'm in this busy environment. Maybe I'm anxious, maybe I, you know, maybe I'm not comfortable. I'm trying to get comfortable. And then you meet somebody who gives you that comfort through something that you enjoy doing and i think that's you know as opposed to saying what do you do for work that makes people kind of like holy cow is this person going to accept my response for what i do for work as opposed to what are you watching on netflix and it's like oh cow that's something i'm actually comfortable talking about you know in this moment and that, that's a huge concept yeah i mean that's 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 the concept right it's like you go to a business event you go to a networking event you meet someone new you have to talk about business, right? Why? What led us to this situation, right? Why are we talking about business at business events? We're supposed to be uh, developing relationships, right? I don't give two craps about what you do for a business if I'm trying to create a relationship. So I'm going to ask you questions on, on things that I believe will enhance that relationship and increase my probability to at some point get you as a customer, but not today. And so by asking that question, 
what are you what are you watching on Netflix? It makes people like, oh, so you're not going to ask me for that 20 second business pitch that I don't want to give anyway because I suck at it and I'm going to get uncomfortable about. And then, by the way, when I tell you what I do and it's that thing that you hate, I'm now on to the next conversation. When if we're really trying to create relationships, let's actually try to create relationships. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't think it's that novel of a concept, but uh, go to a networking event. Every every ninety five percent of people's first questions are going to be, "Oh hi, oh, what do you do for a living?" Yeah, I hate it. Yeah, can't stand it. <laughs> can't. Stand I think it. social media has created more shallow transactions, um, and that may just mm-hmm. be the fast mm-hmm. pace where it's like you meet somebody and it's like. You know, what do you do for business? And then it's like, all right, well, that doesn't fit with my customer base. I'm going to go to the next person. What do you, and it's like that, it's just that quick touch point of transaction. Oh, but their best friend does. Their best friend actually is your super customer, but because you're so, you're, you're, you're so abrasive Mm -hmm. and so, so aggressive in trying to just pass out that damn business card. Toodles, like good riddance. Like you do this to yourself. I have. I have no sympathy for for you like i don't it's just like mm-hmm. you're there you, you you shouldn't be there to be that person that everyone hates right but what ends up happening is like that's all people talk about and it's just so silly it's like if you were going to go hang out with your your friends you're not going to sit there and be like oh so so greg how's work mm-hmm. like no you're going to talk about you're going to talk about the cardinals right you're going to you're going to talk about something that's meaningful for you you know, I just, yeah, I think people just get stuck in this, this such weird, I think, I think they feel forced. Oh, I'm here. I have to do this thing. It's just like, blah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ugh. I didn't come to that conclusion from, from no reason. Like people like feel uncomfortable. People don't want to actually go to networking events because of that. And then I'm just like, Hey, like you can do this simple little thing. It doesn't have to be Netflix. I came up with the Netflix thing because a lot of people watch uh, watch Netflix. 230 million people have a Netflix account. The average viewing of Netflix a night is 3.5 hours. I put those wow. numbers and said, well, most people that are going to attend these events probably fit in there. So they probably watched Netflix last night or something. Maybe we could figure out what that is. Talk to them about that. Make them feel comfortable. If they'll ask me what I'm watching on Netflix. Then I can tell them what I'm watching on Netflix. And guess what? Now I have something that I can communicate with them and follow up with them on, you know, email them the next day and say, oh my gosh, I just watched the trailer for that. I'm going to watch it now. Or, hey, did you just see that season two of blah, blah, blah is coming out? It's a reason for you to be building that relationship and take it to the next level instead of like, oh, thanks for this business card from this business that I don't care for. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not getting to the intended result that we wanted to get to. And that's, that's, I think, the main point is we need to think more about why are we here? Are we here to develop relationships or make an immediate sale? And I think nobody's really there to make an immediate sale, but that's how we're all acting when we go to these. Your wallet isn't out. You're out. Your wallet is not out at a, at a networking event. Your wallet is out at Netflix. Mm-hmm. Your wallet is out at a, at a shopping mall. Your wallet is out at a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, it's a simple way to stand out in a world that is mostly on autopilot and that's i think why why we've gotten there 
Um, I want everyone listening in today to check out Anomaly. Um, I think it's an incredible book. It'll benefit everybody. And it's right there. Yeah, it's a beautiful cover. I love the airplane. And it's on the way up. I just put the link in the chat so anybody can check it out on Amazon. Zach, if people want to get in touch with you, what would you recommend? Um, how would they reach out? And where, where else could they get the book besides Amazon? Yeah, everything that I've done, here's another quick little uh, hack or, or strategy to do. Make all of your, your social handles the same thing. Try to pair them with what the website is. So the website ZachMillerSays.com, Z-A-C-K, Miller Says, S-A-Y-S.com. All my handles are the same thing. So wherever you frequent on the internet, go to Zach Miller Says, and you can find me there. And when you do, just... Um, Ask me what I'm watching on Netflix and we can figure that out. I love it. I, but don't ask me what I'm watching on Netflix right now because I don't know. I, I can't think of what it is. Yeah, well, it's football season. So. I'm watching football, <laughs> which is the same thing, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, during during the off season, you got to watch Netflix. During the in season, you watch, uh, yeah. you watch football. I love it. Now, it's been a fascinating discussion. I think we've all connected to some new mindsets that are going to help us be an anomaly. And I think that's where we're all headed but it's, it's hard to put our hands on it. Um, and you've helped us do that today. One of the final questions we like to ask every guest is, what does being connected mean to you in your life? Yeah, so I think there's different layers. I, I'm a firm believer in having a solid, small group of people that you communicate with and have as like your, your immediate team you know, maybe that's some family, some friends, whatever. And then there's other layers. There are people that are just a little further out on that. Like you're not going to tell your deepest, darkest secrets to, you know, layer seven of that. You might to, you know, that, that first team. And so think, think of it as, you know, trying to build really strong relationships with a handful of people and, and then increasing it out like one of those old uh, globes that you pull out you know just think that that has different layers on it and it's like not everyone that you communicate with has to be super uh, connected right you don't have to tell everyone everything right i think we live in this world where it's like oh i have to tell the world that i just did this thing it's like do you like here i am questioning things again it's like you know tell a handful of people make those really strong relationships make those like your a team and then go from there i love it i love the simplicity want to acknowledge you for the ability to do that in such a noisy, complex world. Um, it's extremely impactful, Zach, and looking forward to continuing the conversation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Peace. Thank you.